This podcast is sponsored by Zondervan Bibles, featuring the new NASB Journal the Word Reference Bible. Let Scripture explain Scripture and reflect on what you learn. Listen for more at the end of today's program. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Ignorance of Jesus Christ does not mean moral non-culpability. It establishes even the unbeliever and the unevangelized as already guilty, whether they've heard the gospel or not. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master. I am joined here virtually by my friend, co-host, James Dalzell. James, how are you? I almost didn't answer when you said virtually, because we really are, you know, connected here, but online. That's Um, true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We are connected. We are talking in real time. We are just not in the same room together. And, uh, but we have an important discussion to engage in today that I think we can do even under these conditions. And that has to do with the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this off the air. Oftentimes, people will hedge on this. They will either uh, say that there are many roads to God uh, apart from Jesus Christ, or they will sort of uh, try to compromise and say, well, Jesus is really the only one who can save, but he does it for people who don't know him. So that's the, that's the topic I wanted to get at today, James. Any, any kind of initial thoughts to frame this discussion? Yeah, I think it it can be helpful to identify these three positions and distinguish them. Um, When we talk about exclusivism, uh, we mean not only that um, Jesus is the only way to salvation, uh, and we'll talk in a few minutes perhaps about John 14, 6, but we also mean that Christ must be known and believed and confessed in order for anyone to receive the benefits of his work in the gospel of death and resurrection. So when we talk about exclusivism, we're not simply saying Jesus alone saves, but we're saying it's necessary that the individual know the truth about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that there be an understanding of the gospel and of his person and work. The second position you described, um, inclusivism, is the position that basically says only Jesus can save and only his death and resurrection open up the way to eternal life, but it's not necessary that a person have actual knowledge of his person and work, so that there are ways in which a person, perhaps in another religion, could be living up to the light, whatever light or truth there may be, a smattering of it in that religion, insofar as they live up to whatever light they happen to have. Um, Jesus is their Savior too, and he mediates grace to them through whatever you know, remnants of grace may exist in their system of religion. Yeah, um, now just, just to break in there really quickly, I think, I think you, you laid out the distinctions well. I want to make one comment, though, before we even get a little deeper into this. One of the times when this kind of discussion emerges is when people are talking about the death of infants. So we're not talking about another religion. We're saying the death of infants. And I, and I would say 
that we're not trying to deal with that in this episode. That actually would be a pretty interesting discussion that I'd like to have with you at some point. I don't think we've ever had it, but that's not the discussion we're having right now. So, so I think perhaps for some of our listeners, that's the natural question that might emerge. And it is a natural question, but it's, it's perhaps outside the scope of what we're describing today. Because what we're talking about today are people who actively make the claim, right, that without a knowledge of Jesus, um, without any um, understanding of him, nonetheless, he may, in fact, save you. Or then in an extreme case, that there are other paths entirely. I think you just proposed a future episode idea and we'll pursue it. Maybe you also just saved us a uh, hundred angry emails. I'm not well, sure. I was thinking about it. I mean, it, it's angry, but it's also, I think no, you know, not angry. it's an important and emotional issue that is Absolutely. that, you know, we all have been close to in, in some fashion, some closer than others, but in some right. fashion closer to it. And so I wanted to kind of put that on the, on the shelf for our listeners because that's not, that's not what we're trying to address in this discussion. We're, we're talking about um, the ordinary situation in which a person otherwise able to believe having heard the gospel has never heard the gospel. Is there a grace of salvation given to them or even possible for them by Jesus Christ, having never heard his name, knowing nothing of his person and work? And inclusivism says, Yes, that's possible. Now, there, not to get too far into the weeds, but it is important to distinguish that inclusivism may or may not be universalist. So some will say it's inclusivist and every person eventually will receive this grace. That's a very universal form of inclusivism. And then there are more exclusive forms of it that say, um, if I said not to be ironic, but that say, we don't mean that every person who's never heard of Jesus will be saved, but we just mean that it's possible for some of those living up to whatever grace might be remaining in their system of religion to receive the mediatorial grace of Christ. The right. third position uh, would just be pluralism. And pluralism, distinguished from inclusivism and exclusivism, is just the view that there are many roads right. and there are many ways to receive the benefit of eternal life. And I want to be very clear, the inclusivists are simply denying that you have to know Jesus, but they're not denying that Jesus is necessary in his death and resurrection to save you. Right. I guess what we want to do is we want to carve out a statement and a position over against pluralism, of course, but also over against inclusivism. Right. And I'll start, I'll start with a couple passages, and then you can fill in the gaps here. I would want to say, if I were tackling this, I would want to say two things. First, I think that the inclusivist position has a wrong understanding, first of all, about human nature. And, and I, I would want to begin with what Romans 1 teaches us, that everyone by nature has a knowledge of God, and they have rejected that. They have actively rejected it. So it's not ignorance in Romans chapter 1, it's suppression. And that involves a different kind of moral agency. If you're ignorant of something, then you genuinely don't know it. But it's important to say that in Romans 1, when Paul talks about the knowledge that we have, he doesn't say everyone is ignorant. He says everyone has knowledge and has suppressed that knowledge. And so that doesn't necessarily mean people have consciously done it or they're aware of their suppression. You can't go up to someone and say, you actually know this. You just, you just start pretending that you don't. But whether they're aware of it, whether they'll admit it, whether they even could admit it, that's the initial reality. So I, I think in all these discussions, it's important to start there, that that's what Paul says. And, I'll, and I'll, just, I'll just read it really quickly, even though our listeners will probably be very familiar with this. 
and then you can you can take it a step further. But Paul in Romans one says that the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, and that's the key word, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then he goes on to say that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood. And then in verse 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, but they became futile and exchanged the glory, etc. So that that's where I would start take that a step further or, or, or tell me that that's the wrong starting place. No, no, it's not the wrong starting point. In fact, I think what it does is it touches on one of the motives underlying the inclusivist position, which is often left unarticulated, but I think it's there nonetheless, which is condemnation of people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ just seems somehow unfair and unjust. And I think right. that, and that, that does have an emotional pull. I mean, we can't pretend like that doesn't have some emotional weight that it carries. And I think what the text that you began with does to help sort of answer that is to say ignorance of Jesus Christ um, does not mean moral non-culpability before God. Right. Um, it establishes even the unbeliever and the unevangelized right. as already guilty and suppressing the truth in unrighteousness whether they've heard the gospel or not. And I think, I think at that point, it is, you said it's the human condition. It is that total depravity. It is that truth suppression. It is that thing that already constitutes uh, the unbeliever and the unevangelized guilty uh, before a holy God. And if we don't start there with that kind of doctrine of total radical and universal depravity, then being unevangelized and perishing because you never heard the gospel can sound unfair if there's not something that establishes moral guilt and fault independent of that. And what you're saying is this hostility is not merely a hostility to a gospel. It's a hostility even to the natural revelation of God and the things that are made. No, that's exactly right. And then, and then, for me, then the next step after after showing what the Bible teaches about humanity is to say, well, what did Jesus say? It's interesting because I think the pluralistic approach plays on the fact that they're saying, no, 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 we still we still think highly of Jesus. We still think that Jesus is the only way of salvation. So there's a sense in which they're they're elevating Jesus, and yet and yet when you look at what Jesus said, if you want to take Jesus seriously. It's interesting because you mentioned John 14, and we'll get there in a second, but in John 8, when Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders who are questioning him and really trying to trap him, it's very interesting. He says in in John 8, 24, just to kind of clip one, one quote, I said to you, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am, or I am he, perhaps. You will die in your sins. And then they say, well, who are you? And, and Jesus goes on to say, I'm the one who's revealing the Father. And you will know that nothing I've done has been done on my own initiative. But, but I think that's so striking because, again, let's, let's take the words of Jesus. Sometimes people want to pit Jesus against Paul. Let's take the words of Jesus. He's very exclusive. You will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. Right. And so the, the inclusivist position says, uh, you don't have to even know that he is. He doesn't have to have a name. You don't have to know anything about him. Uh, You just have to, you know, live up to whatever light may be graciously, you know, hanging around in your system of religion. Maybe I could add one to that 
two chapters over in John 10, uh, when Jesus is talking about um, his sheep and laying down his life for his sheep, he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own. But then he adds this, and my own, I think these are the sheep for whom he lays down his life, my own know me. And this idea that there could be his own that don't know him seems to be precluded by this text. He adds even further, even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. But then here's how he brings them. Here's the question. Well, could there be his own that don't know him? Well, yes. If you're talking about elect persons not yet saved, there are people for whom Christ died that currently have never heard of Christ. But, but here's how Jesus says, he, he says, I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And I think this whole idea of hearing, believing, making confession is in the New Testament, in the words of Christ and in the words of Paul, absolutely inextricable from the salvation that Jesus accomplished for us and offers to us in the gospel. Yeah, and then and then that leads us right into perhaps the the most clear or most well-known clear text about this in John 14 where Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." But I think that even needs to be set in the context of these other kinds of passages because I think the right. the, the 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 pluralist will say, "Well, yeah, that's true. No one comes to the Father except through him, but they just don't know him." Or the pluralist uh, will deny that. The pluralist will say that. Yeah, that's right. um, well, of course, no one comes through him. But here's the que- here's the question: Does coming through him mean knowing and believing him? Right, right. Um, and I think if you can set John fourteen six, no one comes to the Father but through me, in light of John eight or John ten, then we understand that this coming through Jesus is inextricable from a knowing and believing and confessing Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, now, just to switch gears slightly, because we're, we're, we're going to run out of time and be up against the clock here. Why is this so important? And, and I would say this, I, I, would, I would put this out there. When this gets muddy in the church's mind, when people begin to perhaps dip their toe in the water of a kind of inclusivist theology, the first thing to go is missions. And, and right. the clear mandate of proclaiming the gospel to the nations. And so while it may feel initially uh, as if you're being sort of very open and loving to the nations, what it in effect leads to is a lack of urgency to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Yeah, and this urgency, let's think of a text from Paul like Romans 10, where Paul says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But there's the question, and then he immediately asks the question in Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him and whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? The inclusivist position basically makes all of those questions unimportant. Right. In a certain sense, why would it matter that they call on his name if they can be saved without knowing it? Why would it matter whether they can believe in him and whom they have not heard if hearing and belief aren't even necessary to receiving the salvation. And then the missions question, and how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach? And here's the question, unless they are sent just as it is written, uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. 
And I think that's the whole thing with missions. You pour a bucket of cold water, you obviate the whole need for missions. If in fact, knowing the name of Christ, believing on the name of Christ and hearing the name of Christ are not necessary to receiving the salvation procured by Christ. Uh, and that's, that's a crisis for, um, I, I think of it sometimes when I read sort of post-Vatican II Roman Catholicism, whether it's John Paul II or Benedict XVI, who are both very clearly on the inclusivist side. Jesus alone saves, but he doesn't only save Christians. He also saves people of other faiths who live up to the remnants of grace in those faiths. And even Benedict XVI at one point was having to address this crisis within the Roman Catholic Church. How come we've lost all of our ambition for missions? And the answer is because your inclusivist doctrine has rendered missions unnecessary um, and certainly not worth the risk of, like, say, dying at the hands of hostile peoples if, in fact, hearing and believing Jesus were never necessary to salvation in the first place. Yeah, you can see it really clearly articulated there. And sadly, I think you can see it in certain parts of the evangelical church. Again, it's an, it can be an attractive uh, doctrine initially, but it's, but it's one with devastating consequences. James, I think we're out of time here. There's more that we could say, but uh, we're grateful to our listeners, as always, for tuning into Theology on the Go. If you know someone else who might be helped by this podcast, please pass it along. And if you'd like to donate to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that at alliancenet.org. Uh, there's a there's a drop-down button to donate or placefortruth.org uh, where there's also a donate button. If you uh, are interested in this topic, we have a book that you can be eligible to win a copy of. It is called Only One Way, and it has contributions from men like David Wells and Al Mohler and Peter Jones and Rick Phillips and Lake Duncan. It's it's one of the Alliance event books that our friends at PNR have published. And so if you go to the Theology on the Go link, there will be a place for you to enter to win a copy of Only One Way. And as always, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. The NASB Journal the Word Reference Bible allows you to record your thoughts next to treasured verses as you cross-reference other scriptures. This single-column red-letter Bible features extra-wide margins, giving you plenty of space to reflect on God's Word and enhance your study. Recognized as the gold standard among word-for-word translations, the beloved New American Standard Bible 1995 edition is now easier to read with Zondervan's exclusive comfort print typeface. Excellent to give as a gift or for personal use, this Bible with your personal writings inside can also become a cherished heirloom to pass on to future generations. Available in black hardcover or brown leather soft, this beautiful Bible lays flat in your hand or on a tabletop. Let Scripture explain Scripture and reflect on what you learn. The NASB Journal the Word Reference Bible from Zondervan. See it now at zondervan.com slash Bibles. Thank you.